Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I will be talking with Allie Worthington. Allie is not new to the show. She was actually on episode 16, and a lot has happened and a lot has changed since then. We will catch up with her. We will talk about editing. We will talk about having capacity and space in your life, how busyness is bad for you. We all know this, but we don't take the steps to work on that and fix it. We talk about social media and the keeping up with the Joneses mentality and the fear of missing out mentality that often accompanies using social media. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, especially if you are someone who uses social media from a business perspective or from a consumer perspective or both, as well as being somebody who just is busy and feels constantly busy and the different roles in your life are tugging on you to go all different directions at once. Before we get to that conversation, I want to say thank you to the sponsor for this week's episode, Nosby. Nosby is an awesome tool for both desktop and mobile apps across all platforms, Mac, Windows, Android, iPad, iPhone, even Apple Watch, and nearly 300,000 busy people and teams from all over the world are using it to get their tasks and projects done. In fact, I used it in conjunction with getting this podcast completed. And to you, Nosby can make your productivity system more seamless by using it to attach Evernote notes or Dropbox files, Google Drive, Box, etc. to your Nosby tasks. You can use it, again, on your desktop when you're at any particular workstation or on the go with mobile devices. It's easy to collaborate with Teams with Nosby, delegating tasks to your friends, your colleagues, and working with them to get not just the tasks done, but the projects done. In fact, Nosby is so committed to collaboration that every Nosby Pro user gets a second account for their partner included free. It's like getting two accounts in one. To set up your 30-day free Nosby Pro trial, go to nosby.com slash to-do. That's N-O-Z-B-E dot com slash T-O-D-O. Also, if you decide to upgrade and continue using Nosby past the 30-day free trial, you can use the promo code TODO to get 10% off your Nosby Pro account. The link to go grab your 30-day free Nosby Pro trial is nosby.com slash TODO. That's N-O-Z-B-E dot com slash T-O-D-O. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Allie Worthington. Allie, welcome back. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So, I mean, you were on episode 16. (laughs) That was so long ago. It was three years ago, basically. Mm -hmm. The the podcast was a baby. Uh, (laughs) I had just seen you speak about a month or so before that at John Acuff's Oh, it wasn't the Start Conference. It was Quitter Conference. Oh, that was Quitter. That yeah. was a long time ago. So long ago. And so, my yeah, my show was 
oh, I don't know. It was like the, the current episode at that point was like episode six. It was with Jeff Goins and, and he was also speaking there. So that was really cool. But, uh, a we're, lot. We're a little tribe. Yes. Um, of it, us here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. A lot of people are always asking me. So when, and, and especially when I visit Nashville, everybody says to me, so when are you moving down here? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like two thirds of the people I've talked to on this show are from there. <laughs> but that just that's that's a coincidence. It's not a there's no plan there. It's and 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 again, if I I think if I lived there it'd be harder for me to appreciate it as much when well, I visit. Well, I live here and I have my husband and I have five sons, so we're so busy. I joke that I may live here but I might as well not because <laughs> I, I I stay, you know, focused on kid things when I'm not working. So, right. yeah, I live here, but it's not like we're all hanging out at Frothy Monkey all day. Yeah, see, yeah. that's the thing is like and I've got like I've got Indianapolis an hour south of me. We just don't go that often. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've thought about maybe being down there. But again, it's one of those things where you only have so much space in your life for a certain amount of things. And if you kind of got that prioritized, then, you know, it'd be nice to be able to like, hey, go out on a date night at a bigger restaurant or a nicer <laughs> restaurant or whatever. But that'd probably be the extent of it for the most part, at least for the beginning. So, yep. but speaking of busy, that's what your book is about. And I was excited when I heard what the title was. Oh, thank you. There's lots of jokes. It is Breaking Busy. Um, we make lots of Breaking Bad references. Um, <laughs> I, I threatened the publisher at one point that I was going to do um, a, you know, a whole Breaking Busy thing and do a bad Photoshop of my face on the cover. And they're kind of traumatized by that. But we love the concept of Breaking Busy. It all came from... <laughs> Nice. Um, that would, yeah. I guess you're gonna have to edit that. I'm sorry. No, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> okay, so my dog is losing her mind right now, and <laughs> I apparently there must be a cat or a, ma- a mailman outside. All the Christmas we're we're fi- we're recording this before Christmas, so all the packages are coming. And it's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, the concept came from me being completely burned out. And admitting to my husband that I was miserable. I was working harder than I'd ever worked, trying to make everybody happy. And I said one day, my busyness is breaking me. It's going to kill me. We have to break busy before the busy breaks us. And that's where the whole concept of the book came from. The whole Breaking Bad thing is just an extra funny thing on the side. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we've already alluded to the fact that you're a mother of five boys. You're a wife. but that and in and of itself, that's enough to drive somebody crazy. That's it, it, actually yeah, true. Uh, that right there is probably a huge chunk of the audience listening to this right now. But then you add stuff on top of that, and that that's where it gets even more crazy or crazy busy. Yeah, um, I uh, well, I was um, I joke that I, I don't even know how to describe it now. I'm a recovering entrepreneur. I ran my own business for six years and then shut my business down and became a consultant for a year and a half, and then met a wonderful woman by the name of Christine Kane, who is um, an evangelist and runs an anti-human trafficking organization. I met her socially about two years ago, and her and her husband came to town in Nashville early spring of 2014 and took me out to dinner. And I thought that they just wanted to pick my brain about this new project they were building. And she literally looks across the table at me and tells me that I have to run it, to which I said, no. I said, listen, <laughs> you don't want me as an employee. I've never had a job. 
and I've seen my disc profile. You don't want any of this. And she said, no, it's you. So literally I, I left that dinner saying, no way. You know, I don't work for other people. I build companies. I help people build companies. I'm not doing this. And then went home and through a process of praying about it and talking to my husband, I just decided to take the leap. So now I'm serving as the executive director of an organization called Propel Women. And I just happened to accept that job two weeks after I signed a contract to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to very quickly learn how to balance everything and cut out everything that was extra so my family didn't suffer and my children still liked me. Okay, so when you signed on for Propel Women Mm -hmm. and you had just signed on for the book deal, was the book idea like solidified? (laughs) Well, we thought originally the book was going to be about editing to to help you with busyness. It was it was John Acuff who for his start conference, he called right. me and said, "Ali, I want you to talk about editing because I had just shut down my big events company." And I said, "Oh, John, I do not want to talk about editing. First of all, that's painful. Second of all, the concept of editing isn't sexy. Like, what do you want me to talk? I mean, you might as well tell me to talk about dieting or cleaning your floors. Like, I, I don't want to talk about that." But I wrote this talk about editing, and it was so raw to me at the time, and, and it turned out really well. I decided that the book that, I, that had been floating around in my head would be about editing to help people with busyness and focus. But as, as the process turned out, then it turned into to busyness over time. Really, it's just it's more relevant to people. So editing is a chapter, and it's, it's funny. Now that people are beginning to read early copies, people come to me and go, okay, editing is the best chapter in the book. And I go, yeah, it was almost the whole book. Um, but it's not as sexy as busyness, and I think busyness is something that people really suffer from in, in modern society. Yeah, and by the way, I was in the audience for that talk. Oh gosh, it was it was a raw it was yeah. a raw moment because everyone listening, John interviewed me right after, and did a, we did a Q and A on stage, and I had just announced earlier that week that I was shutting down my events company, it was something that I had to do, but something that didn't make sense to anybody because it was super successful, and I may or may not have teared up on stage. Oh, I think you did. It, so. I yeah, think, I okay. think you did. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> Um, it was the right decision, and I look back on it now and go, I'm so glad I did it. And, and I, I give all the gory details in the book about it, but, um, man, it, it, it was a punch in the gut at the time. Well, so we're, I guess we're on that topic. Why don't we yeah. talk about that a little bit? I mean, there's obviously a lot more distance now uh, between it, so it's, it, it's got to be at least a little bit easier to talk about. But what's the, what was the process like? Like, what was the inkling of, I mean, it, and we're talking about uh, blistem. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what that is slash was. And then, you know, what made you suddenly give that up? (laughs) Well, I I never told anybody until now because the story is, it's kind of crazy. Blistem was a a large event in the U.S. Um, The one in Canada was franchised. So they're still having Blistem in Canada. Um, We had speakers like John and Mike Hyatt and Brene Brown and you know, we would have Harry Connick Jr. and Rascal Flats, and it was it was a, a luxury event, and it was great. I loved it, top of the world, best thing that I ever created. Couldn't be happier. And in early 2013, I went to a conference in Orange County, and it was a Christian leaders conference, and was praying about what the theme for next year was going to be. 
And I, I didn't hear it audibly because I, I don't hear audible voices, but I felt in my spirit, God put two words on my heart, which was quit blistem. And I can't describe it. I can't, I can't, no, I couldn't say it's X, Y, and Z, how I knew it was the voice of God and not my, and not me. I just knew it. Um, it, I like to, to describe it as when you, when you get something in your spirit that challenges you and shocks you, um, a lot of times, of course, if it lines up with scripture, um, and all the other factors, that's the voice of God. So I, I knew what it was. I knew that, I knew that I heard it and I couldn't pretend that I didn't hear it. And I was flying home to, to Nashville. I, I was praying and I told God, all right, I'm going to need some signs and I'm going to be a submissive wife because I'm not, I don't normally call myself a submissive wife, but this is the game I was playing to try to get out of quitting. I was, I'm going to go tell my husband, Mark, who had just retired from his job to be a stay home dad. I'm going to tell Mark that I've heard this. And if Mark says, sure, we don't need money. We don't need a stable income. You think you've heard this from God quit, then I'll do it. But if he tells me no, I'm going to have to be submissive to him. So how you like me now, God? <laughs> right? This is what I do. I can't even pretend. So get home, go to sleep that night. And then we get the kids to school. We sit down on the couch. And I said, babe, I got to talk to you. And he said, all right. You know, and I give him the whole story. And he said, so think you heard that from God, huh? And I said, I'm sure I did. But, you know, I mean, how are we going to pay the bills? And he said, you better call your co-founder. You better quit. And I was devastated. <clears throat> so my co-founder doesn't is agnostic. So for me to call her and say, hey, by the way, Jesus told me to quit. And by the way, he told me to give you my half of the company. It was good news and bad news for her. <laughs> so at first, I think she was just waiting for me to get out of the Jesus face. Like, I'm going to change my mind. And we went on to have, they planned one more event. And I said, if you're not going to tell anyone yet that I'm leaving, I'll come back one more time and host it and, you know, choose speakers and brought John back again because he was launching um, Start. And then um, after that, we all just made the decision to, to go out on a high and shut it down together. And it didn't make sense to anybody. It made people really upset and sad. And I think that was the hardest part uh, was just watching, literally watching people online be so upset and hurt that I would, I would shut it down. Yeah. And that's kind of on the scale of, I mean, that, that's, on, that's, a, that's a high end scale kind of a thing to, to, to edit from your life, (laughs) you know, it was horrible. It it really was. I mean, I can't, I, I can't even explain how bad it was because it was the first thing that I had ever done professionally that I felt like I was good at. So I had so much of my identity wrapped up in that event. And so in my mind, I was walking away from this company in this event, but I was also walking away from this community that I had built, walking away from any sort of influence that I'd built up over the years. Cause in my mind, you know, I, I hosted an event, I put people on stage, I brought in musicians. So I really thought that, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I thought, I think I was afraid that people liked me because of what I could do for them. And with me closing this down, I was kind of just walking away into nothingness. That's, I, I really felt like I was, I was cutting off my own arm. Yeah. I think the way you approached it, and even kind of tested it 
and even the way I mean the way it came about and the way you tested it and then the way you obeyed and and went went through and did it it's it's a very unique situation and and again it's this it's this giant thing it's not some hey we're going to keep the kids out of soccer this year you know it's it's not <laughs> yeah. the same scale and yet that's what now you're I think what you've realized right is that in in a sense that editing I mean did it give you basically what I'm saying what I'm trying to get at is is that gave as as messy as it was it probably gave you courage to then edit the smaller things right it it did absolutely and i had to i had to learn to say no to the little things because i i learned to say no to something so big but that process also i, I think sometimes we we live our lives in such a way that we think we can't stop something or we can't change because that's how it is because we're going to let people down or people depend on us. But when we're called to do it, when we know in our gut that we're supposed to do something, the other pieces will fall in line. It's just uncomfortable when we have to walk through it, you know, in in real time. Yeah. So what do you say to somebody who is unsure about how to break free from this, you know, they're in a grind. They are they they are in that cycle of busy and they want to break out of being busy and they just realize like well i'm not running a company like i'm not doing <laughs> that's not that's not my life but i'm still feeling like i'm probably as busy as as you are i mean you didn't even you didn't quit blistem because you were busy that's yeah, that's I one quit of the it ironic because it things. wasn't my destiny yeah um but i looked back but i had to then kind of go in this valley time period of life where I could look back and see where areas of my life were unhealthy. You know, I was a little too big for my britches at the time. So I had to grow up and get a little more humble. We'll put it that way. Um, I, I, when we were choosing the covers for breaking busy, I wanted a little bit of whimsy on there. So I had a little tiny hamster wheel put on because I think that most people kind of have that hamster, hamster wheel, vibe with their life. I mean, we really live our lives consumed with our busy schedule. So we're all kind of on the edge of burnout. Um, the, the biggest thing I can ask people on how, what to cut out first and where to identify things is just by asking people, what did you say yes to that? Even at the time you knew you didn't want to do it, but you said yes to it because you didn't want to disappoint people. Because you didn't want to go through that momentary awkwardness of having to say no, even if you say it nicely. So you'd rather say yes to something in the moment and then hate it down the road. So one of these ways I make decisions is I ask myself what, what future Allie will think. All right. So you could, you could ask yourself what future Eric would think. So, you know, what will future Allie think in 10 minutes? What will I think about a decision in 10 weeks or even 10 years or, you know, whatever, whatever time period you want to do? So when you say yes to something, before you say yes to it, when you're making that decision about activities in your life or things, things that you want to let go of, you think, what am I going to feel about, you know, what's future me going to say about this in 10 minutes? In 10 minutes, it's going to suck if I say no, because I'm going to feel awkward because no one likes to say no. But in 10 weeks, I'm going to be happy that I said no. And in 10 years, I won't even remember it. So that's how I, I start making decisions um, now I realize that in 10 minutes, it's going to suck, but it's going to get so much better over time. If I say no from the beginning, because I used to live life by taking every opportunity, saying yes to every responsibility and then hating it down the road. And I think that's where most people are these days. 
right? I mean, that's that's kind of one of the symptoms in a sense is just not even having, I don't know, a decision-making process in place. Oh, yeah, because it's so easy to say yes. I mean, I was I was obsessed with saying yes to everything. I used to joke that if I saw an open door, I would kick my way through. I mean, that was the story of me building my business. But I carried that mentality from business into my whole life, and I was miserable. I mean, I looked happy from the outside. On Instagram and Facebook, I probably looked uh, you know, like I was happier than I had ever been. But you know, that's how we do it on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook. Right. Um, but especially in those years, in that year after I shut down my event company, I was really just having a, a slow motion nervous breakdown. But you know, posting smiling selfies on Instagram. All right. So we feel, I think some people are feeling like, okay, that's fine and all that you're saying we should say no, or we should think more about when we give a yes, but I don't know how to stop. I'm addicted. You know what I mean? Like, and there are reasons that we are, there are reasons that we're addicted to saying yes to everything. And, you know, some of them are like, let's see. I mean, we, we feel like we're missing out. Uh, we feel like everybody else is doing all the cool stuff, so why can't we do it too? Yes, and that I'll tell you, that's the hardest thing about living in Nashville because every day there's a party or a dinner or a show, and there's times where I just won't even pick up my phone in the evenings because mm. I still I get I love everybody, yep. but but I will get mad that everyone's together. But then if I agree to go do something because I really want to. I will be so stressed out leading up to going to do something because I'm already doing too much that I'll resent the fact that I said yes. Yep. Um, so really, it's it's just a process of identifying what are what are the big priorities. You know, um, if if you're married, it's going to be your family. If if you have to support your family, it's going to be your job. It's going to be your career. What are these big priorities? Take care of those big things first, and then just realize you have limited capacity. For everything else, um, there there are signs that we're overwhelmed. One of these, and I talk about it in the first chapter, but but one of them is um, just out of control emotions. So, for me and for a lot of people, when when it's easy for me to cry, when it's easy for me to get angry, when I find myself resenting things, I it's my indicator that I'm too busy. And even though I want to do these things for everyone else and I feel responsible for everyone else, I have to stop and take care of myself a little bit or I'm going to be terrible for everyone. You know, we we like to think that we're superhuman. We like to think that we can just keep piling on activities and responsibilities, but we aren't. You know, until we embrace that we have capacity levels, we're always going to live burned out. Now, when you say capacity levels, you're—I mean, you're, we're basically saying there's only so much time and space and energy in your life, let alone if you're living in a family unit. They also yeah. have limited as well. So it's kind of like you got the family uh, tank and you got your own individual tank, and you're all kind of, you know, feeding off each other as well as giving to each other. Hopefully, yeah. And it's different in every season. I'm- we like to think that our personal capacity or professional capacity stays the same, but depending on what season you're in, it's really different. Like when I decided to, you know, write this first book, I I had six months and what I had to do was just give up all my Saturdays and a lot of my Sunday afternoons. I know I'm not gonna wake up at four AM and write. I just like I know myself. <laughs> well, you're a night person. I remember I, that. I sure am, yeah. And 
And so for that season, that six months period, which spread out to eight months, I, I knew and my family knew I had to give up everything extra on Saturdays, for instance. Um, but sometimes when we think about giving things up or saying no to things, or we think about our capacity levels, we think about it that it's a reflection on ourselves instead of it's a reflection of the season that we're in. Well, and, and going back to that decision, uh, you know, and, and applying your own decision-making process to it, you're saying, well, one, it's important enough that I do this book now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the right thing at the right time. And then looking at what the sacrifice is to make that happen and saying, is that too high of a sacrifice? No, not if this is the right time in the right place and it's the right sacrifice, right? Yeah. And I look back on it now and it seems like nothing. We can't right. even remember that. I mean, sure, for all those months, I couldn't do anything on extra, extra on Saturdays. I didn't, you know, I didn't go out with friends. I didn't do much of anything else other than work, be with the family and write. But I look, that was a year and a half ago now. No, it was about a year ago, actually. I finished it up. And it seems like nothing. So we often dread making changes and making sacrifices and going through that momentary discomfort of, of letting people down. But let a little time go by and you hardly remember it. Okay. So talk to me about the struggle I'm sure there was when you're sitting there on a Saturday and you wish you were doing something else. Oh, it happened all the time. Well, first of all, I kept myself off of the phone because if I started, you know, even even when you have the best of intentions to go on your phone, you start looking at all the cool things your friends are doing and I would get annoyed or I would feel resentful or I would feel like, you know, who knows how this book will turn out and I'm turning my life upside down, yada, yada, yada. The fear creeps in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's The key is always staying focused <clears throat> on the end result and where you want to be. Um, staying focused on your goal, your long-term goal, and then just giving, for me, giving myself every week, all I have to do is X. All I have to do is this. And and then I'm going to reach it. That's what got me through those those long months. In those long months, again, you have a husband and five sons. <laughs> how the heck did you manage, or, or how, how I, I will put it better this way, how did you as the family manage you working on this through that season? Well, we really thought about this book as a family project. So it was really cute. My my oldest son is on Instagram. And as soon as we got the, the advanced copy, he actually took a picture with us with it and told all of his friends to pre-order it. I mean, obviously, I haven't taught my 17-year-old about <laughs> target markets because high school boys aren't my target market. But we all think about it. Um, we all think about this book as a family project. So, so there's a, there's a degree of, of ownership and appreciation for the book. Um, but I just made it work. I, um, like the boys would have basketball games and we would have to wait for a couple hours before basketball games on Saturdays. And I would, I, I put in a picture up on Instagram of it, of me writing the book out longhand. Cause that's what I did. And, um, and then, just finding empty spots where I could write. So it would be in a high school cafeteria or, um, you know, in, in an empty classroom while my kids are, are practicing for their, their basketball game. So really, I just, I, I got in any way I could, and we tried to make it a family affair. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you were already, though, working, well, working yeah. for Propel Women, right? 
I was. So you were yeah. balanced. So you you had quit Blistem, and then had uh, you know reluctantly, but then wholeheartedly joined in on Propel Women, and then <laughs> was doing this project. Yes, um, I, I do travel a lot for my job, and I have found that long flights, especially a flight to Europe, is my best friend because I could write for eight hours straight. Wow. <laughs> it was really just just finding in those, those pockets of time to get it done. Wow. That is awesome. I love that you've got the, I can't do work on a on a flight. My thing is is just I never know what the setup is going to be, what who you know, who's going to be sitting next to me or you know. Wait, how. wait, do you talk to people on an airplane? Oh no. I don't either. And no. nobody ever tries to talk to me and I said to my mom one time, nobody ever talks to me on an airplane and she said, "I think you look angry." <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. Like I'm so goofy in real life. I can't imagine. She said, "You you might come across a little angry. Yeah, I I try to kind of put out that I'm I'm you know I'm busy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, ironically, as we're talking about that. Hey, um, okay. Here's the wait. Let me say, all busyness isn't bad. It's the busyness that it will break you this bad. So true. It's it's being, and I say we all want to live a full life. Like I actually put in the book um, at one point that they t- the publisher took out because it was offensive. I actually said we. we we didn't become Amish. Like I'm not telling anybody to live a minimal lifestyle. I'm not telling anyone to, you know, to live a life that isn't full and exciting. I just want to help people cut out all the crap. Yeah. And and one person's crap is maybe not the next person's. Yeah. I mean, everybody's individual. It's 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 been interesting with people reading early copies of the book because the concept, especially for women, is new this concept of you have to say no to things that that don't fulfill you. You know, maybe it's a volunteer responsibility, maybe it's a different activity, but when you take on responsibility that you don't love, that you know you're going to dread, you take that ability to volunteer for something away from somebody who actually will love it. I mean, there are there are everybody's made in a different way. So everybody's in, is individual, but if people who tend to take on responsibilities, take on those that they hate, you're taking that ability away from somebody else who will actually love it. I mean, you can always find people who love what you can't stand and vice versa. That's an interesting way to put it. I mean, and and I am let me see here. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. I am, you know, from that whole church culture as well where you know, man, we're struggling to find somebody to fill this, you know, volunteer position. And so then somebody feels guilty and they take it when maybe they shouldn't have, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things, but I've, but I've never heard it put the way you just put it, where, you know, if you step up and say yes to something, you may actually be doing it or you may inadvertently be selfish and taking it for you when you don't even want it, when someone else would love it. Yeah, I mean, it's it falls along the 80-20 rule. 20% of people are going to say yes to everything and take on responsibility because that's just who they are. You know, it needs to be done. Well, I guess I'll do it because nobody else said they'll do it. <laughs> um, when sometimes you just need to, you need to give a little time to people who are a little slower or maybe don't know that the need is there so they'll actually step up. But if the same people step up for everything, those people will be miserable and nobody else will ever step into that. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah. Again, that's, that's one of those, that, that thought there blows my mind. Just the idea of 
selfish volunteerism. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very liberating too. Um, you know, most most of us have grown up and heard, you know, the worst thing anyone can call you is selfish. When actually that concept can be really a millstone on our neck. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um what I'm trying to think there was there was a thought there. Crap, my my brain is you're think. you're busy thinking about know. you're not going to volunteer for now. I right? know. I'm like, yeah. wait a second. What all do I have? What all can I say no to now? Be generous and say no. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> and again, it's it, like you said earlier. It, oh, I remember now. The whole concept is this: that, like you said, is that if we say yes to something that we really don't want to do, but we say yes out of some kind of either guilt or uh, you know comparison trap or yep. something along those lines, then. We also will not just feel bad later when we have to do it instead of mm-hmm. get to do it, but we will also procrastinate like crazy on that thing because oh, we still yeah. don't want to do it. And we will feel Im- e- not just guilt from having to do it, but then the guilt of procrastinating on it because we didn't want to do it in the first place. Yeah, it's just a cycle. Um, you're mad at yourself, you're mad at the other people, and you kind of hate the world at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so it's much better to take kind of a proactive stance than a reactive stance, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's um that's a big concept in the book of pro- proactive and reactive edits. Um proactive edits are ones that you make in advance before you find yourself mad at the world because you've done so much. And a reactive edit is one of those things when you've signed on for too much and then you realize you can't stand anyone, you you're mad that you did it and it's going to go badly when you tell everyone, no way, I can't do this anymore. Um, and then a proactive edit is looking at things in the future, knowing, hey, these are, this is my sweet spot. This is, what, this is what I can do. All these things over here, I'm not going to do. I know in advance, and I'm going to proactively edit them out. So it's kind of like if, if somebody were walking into this now and they, they're showing all the signs of being over capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, where their, uh, you know, their emotions have been out of control from time to time or more. And, <laughs> you know, all the other things like being sick and, you know, just not taking care of themselves. How would you suggest they start to approach this? Because I think a lot of people are going to have to do some of that reactive first yep. in order to edit out stuff they've already got commitments to. But then, how, so how do they trans? How do they start first going with a a reactive mindset into getting rid of some of the stuff they're already into, and then switching over to that more proactive? Well, for me, I love lists. So I I often write lists of things that I want to do, lists that make me happy. I mean, I have a list for everything. But one thing that people can do is think about um, a stop doing list. So when we when we're busy, when we're overwhelmed, we tend to want to do more things. We want to make a list, I'm going to do all these things, and then I'm not going to be so overwhelmed. When instead, we just need to identify the things that aren't working, the things that make us over capacity, and then literally remind ourselves to stop doing them. Um, you know, Maybe it's a business opportunity. Um, maybe it's working with a certain type of client. Maybe it's just watching Netflix until 1 a.m. every night. Whatever it is that you you didn't realize was hurting you is actually hurting you. So you can write it on a post-it note. You can write it on an index card and actually remind yourself all the time, I'm going to stop doing X, Y, and Z, just two or three things. So when you're overwhelmed, you don't want to all of a sudden announce to everybody that you quit everything 
and, you know, forget y'all because you're stressed out. You just focus on two or three little steps where you can stop doing certain things and get a little space in your life. Okay. And that's a good start. And so then, so yeah, so then from that point on, though, everything's going to be perfect, right? Um, no, it is a continual battle. It's, it's, I'd put this whole thing in the, in the back of the book, in the epilogue, where I wanted people to upload pictures or share things on Facebook and Twitter and use the um, breaking busy hashtag. My publisher said, well, we've never seen that. What, what are you doing? And I said, well, this is a struggle. It is going to be a struggle forever. We live in a culture that says you have to be more, you have to do more, you have to achieve more. And we hear that every day. So I want I wanted to kind of set up a community, a way that people can share their stories and share their successes and remind each other to break busy because it's we don't we we have to give each other permission to say no. We have to live give each other permission to kind of live in that destiny that they're called to live. But we we need to constantly remind ourselves that we have permission to do that. So it's one of those things where I wanted to be able to like look through the hashtag and be like, I see you over there breaking busy. Good job. No, we, we need that encouragement because we live in a society that makes it very hard. We have to fight for this. One of the other things that I was reminded of was it's not just about us. There's this whole other compartment of things that, you know, it's tied to us for sure, but it's our kids when it comes to you know, we feel like we're a failure as parents if we don't have them involved with every single thing because, you know, when they're young and their minds are ripe and, like, we don't want them to miss out on all the opportunities and, like, we're doing it to them too. Oh, yeah, and we're miserable and our kids are miserable. I mean, <laughs> miserable. I, I actually thought I was a good mom until Pinterest came around. And, <laughs> you know, I can't build Elsa and Olaf out of marshmallows and have sparklers on cakes. Like I do, I do sheet cakes and I Instagram them. Thank you very much. They're terrible, but they make us happy. You know, we, we feel like everything has to be perfect for our kids. And, and I believe that we should live in a world where if, if making a life-size Olaf out of marshmallows at a birthday party is your jam, then run with it. But we need to give ourselves permission, those of us who like sheet cakes, make a sheet cake. Um, but if you do make that life-size Olaf and you do make big, beautiful cakes, that's awesome. But we have to give each other permission to be who we want to be, not pressure ourselves to live up to other things. And, you know, I love cake. So anybody that makes cake, I would lo- love an invitation over. Um, you just don't want to eat mine, probably. Well, and isn't have you seen this... Uh... It's an Ikea commercial, but it's translated and it's, it went around. And yes. it's like the kids writing, the kids writing the notes about, uh, you know, because they do it differently over in, I, where is it? Sweden? Yeah. Father um, Christmas. Yeah. So they write to Father Christmas and they say the things that they want for Christmas. And I then, cried like a baby. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, we actually, uh, played this video recently and, and the, uh, and then they do the follow-up letter where it's like they're writing to their parents about what they want with them. And, and, and it's not tangible stuff. It's time. It's presence and time, really. Not presence in, like, gifts, but as yeah. in P-R-E, however you spell the rest of that. Like, you're being around, in yeah. other words. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what kids love. And attention. That's what I mean. Attention. We, um, in our family, we don't do big Christmas. Like, my husband and I, we... We get the kids maybe one small thing, but the grandparents send money, and so we buy gifts on their behalf. So they so they get gifts, but 
we don't make a huge deal out of it. You know, um, we on Christmas Eve, we have a family untalent show because <laughs> I realized really soon that we didn't really have talents. So we do this terrible untalent show and, you know, it doesn't cost any money. It, we don't feel pressure to to have ponies under the Christmas tree because that's just we're just not buying into it. And I think more people want to buy into this idea that not everything has to be Pinterest worthy. But thanks to the Internet, I love and mind you, I love the Internet. But thanks to the Internet, we kind of internalize this idea that everything has to be perfect. You know, we have to wear clothes and then post outfit of the day pictures. We have to, you know, make wonderful gourmet meals and share pictures of that. And then we have to have our kids playing violin when they're four months old. You know, it's it's this type of pressure that we put on ourselves where we think if we're not doing everything perfectly, we aren't good parents. But perfect is a lie. I mean, the only thing that makes you a good parent is loving your child and being good to your child and making sure your child you know, we all want our children to share faith. We want our children to be well-educated. But the key is we want our children to grow up and have a healthy sense of self and to be able to give and receive love and take responsibility for themselves. If they can do those things, they're going to do great in life. It doesn't matter if your kid can play violin or speak Mandarin Chinese if they can't love other people or they can't take responsibility for themselves, all those things don't, don't matter in the long run. Yeah. I can't really get an Instagram shot of the moment that, and, and have it translate that is of the moment a couple of weeks ago where my four-year-old son turns to me as he's sitting with me and says, dad, I like hanging out with you. See, you so. know, I mean that that's where the magic is. It's where the magic is. Yeah. How, why do you, why do you think that we get stuck in this though? Why, why do you think that we get stuck in, I mean, cause we're taking on all this stuff and we're doing it not cause we want to, because we but we feel we have to. And a lot of it is looking at other people and what they're doing. I mean, do we just turn off social media? No, it's interesting. I, I did a ton of research while I was writing the book and where social media depresses people, where it leaves people feeling more empty than before is when we find ourselves passively scrolling through other people's streams, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. When we just take a passive role and we watch people's lives go by subconsciously, that's when we start getting depressed. But when we use social media to connect with other people, to actually engage, to to like things or comment, or use it to schedule more FaceTime with other people, that's when it fills us up. So like everything in life, it's just how we use it. Hmm. You know what? I think you're right. And 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 I have an anecdote that kind of goes along with this and especially be, with being busy because I actually work on social media as my day yeah. job. And so I'm on it all the time. And so then when I have personal time that I would like to, you know, keep up with people on that are, are my friends in, in real life and or online uh, in an online way. I do tend to do that thing where I'm just kind of swiping through. And I do realize that, I mean, this was about a month or so ago. I don't think I've said this anywhere publicly. So I'm going to say this. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm making the decision. Um, I unfollowed every single person on my Facebook. Wow. Like I was still friends with them, but I unfollowed everybody. And the experiment was, how long can I go um, <laughs> before I 
you know, when I log into Facebook and I see nothing, like literally nothing on the newsfeed, how long can I keep that up? And gradually I would think of somebody that I remember I'm connected to on Facebook. Like granted, I wasn't even following my own mother. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Yeah. So I, and, and uh, so I gradually started adding people back and then I was caring more about seeing what I was seeing there versus just, you know, scrolling through and kind of passively like, Oh, they're doing that. Oh, they're doing that. Man, my life stinks. Yeah. Great for them. You know, and I love that because you actually are intentional about it. Yeah. So, and, and, and after a while I kind of went through, I I went back to the friends list in Facebook and I just said, okay, who am I still not following? Let me look and see. And, you know, for the most part, I was following everybody back, but I had kind of made lists and kind of, you know, I basically I'd set up my system to where, hey, if I'm going to jump in and check in on people, I'm going to literally check in on people and just see what they're doing. And then I'm going to comment. I'm going to engage and vice versa. So that's great. That's a cool experiment. Yeah. So and it was hard. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) But it was beneficial. I mean, again, then it was like, oh, I'd go to Facebook. like, Oh, nothing there. Nothing there. And I'd move on. And imagine well, and the time that freed up. We always have to keep in mind that we, we are, you know, social media is about highlight reels. It's just the nature of it. Mm-hmm. We don't, it's not even a surprise. We all know this. But when we scroll through it, we forget. I mean, we see, we follow so many hundreds of people that when you see all these vacation pictures and pictures that, you know, your child cured cancer and all those other things, <laughs> they're... They're not posting pictures of their child having a tantrum or the living room that's trashed. I mean, it's just not what we do. And yeah. to be quite honest, nobody on social media really wants to see pictures of a kid having a tantrum or their living room trashed anyway. Like we try to we try to create pictures with with some interest or, you know, that are encouraging in some way or funny. Um, I believe social media isn't necessarily meant for sharing all the bad moments because then people kind of feel awkward anyway. Right. So just, just having everyone keep in mind, this is for something that's fun or encouraging or, you know, however you want to do it. Um, we can all stop pretending that it's real. Yeah. I think that's, that's a key there right there is like, if we can stop pretending it's real and remember that everybody's basically showing you their best snapshots of their life. Yeah. You know, text, video, audio, whatever. When I talk to girls, like high school girls and even middle school girls, because middle school girls are on social media now, I say, when you are upset, when you are depressed, when you're angry, please just stay away from your phones. Like, mm. I'm in- literally encouraging them. You know, I say, you know, go, go read a chapter in Proverbs, go call your best friend, go talk to your parents, but don't post online. Um, because we as adults, we know, you know, when we are losing our stuff, we're not going to go rant on Twitter, hopefully, but teenagers don't. So teenagers still, it's really their real self, which is kind of harmful. Like they haven't gotten the clue, like, no, let's just, let's share happy moments. Well, it's their Um, real self. And then when something happens positive or negative, it's that much more of a raw emotional response. Yeah. And it's just awkward for everybody. Nobody wants to see that mess. You know, this is social media is there for fun. Yeah. Let's switch over from, you know, teens and, and kids to adults. And we've talked about, um, the family. We've talked about adults. We've talked about social media. We've talked about kids. 
how do we then decide in a selfish way in the good sense of that word how do we then then decide you know we've edited all this stuff out how do we maybe add some stuff in that counteracts you know like one of the, the like one of the big things you know um that you talk about of being being over capacity and and being in this busy trap is lack of self-care and being yeah. sick and lack of emotional control and that all hints to you're not taking care of yourself. How do we start doing that and not feel guilty that we're adding in new things that make us busy when that's good busy? Yeah, totally. And there's a huge difference. I, I've read tons of books on time management, trying to do research for this book. And and it, what struck me is of all the, you know, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of books that have been written about busyness and time management, if time management was really the key, we wouldn't all still busy, be busy, right? Like it's, it's about so much more than that. We can edit things out and then we'll be bored. We have to really think about what, what to add in, what to edit in. Editing is removal and addition. So it's what restores you? What do you love? I mean, for me, it's time with friends. I love that. For me, it's I, I love to snuggle with my little guys at night, um, even though I've talked to other moms who say, no, I want to throw my children upstairs and tell them never to come down again. Um, so it's like I said, it's different from everybody. I love going to the movies. So it doesn't have to be big, huge things. It can be small changes that we make in our lives that we think, what what refuels me? What restores me? what makes me feel the happiest, and then just intentionally make time for those. So it's really thinking about what the swap is, in a sense, is I'm saying no to this so I can say yes to this. Absolutely. Yeah. What you say no to completely determines what you can say yes to. Yeah. And this is, you know, people who have listened to this show for a while will suddenly, and I hope they do, realize that what we're talking about here then it's the opportunity cost where, again, anytime and, – and this applies to business, it applies to life, it applies to anything – that if you're saying yes to one thing, then now the time and energy and everything that you would use for that can't go towards something else. So every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another and vice versa. Every time you say no to one thing, you're then freeing yourself up to be able to say yes to the other things. Absolutely. And and that's that's in our personal life. It's, you know, volunteer work, you know, it's, it's all those other things you think of, like making cookies for the classroom, whatever it is. But it's also, uh, if you're a business owner, you say yes to clients because you need the money and you're afraid that you're not going to be able to pay the bill. So you say yes to clients that you know will suck the life right out of you. It's that sort of thing. Mm. Like sometimes to make ends meet, yeah, we have to work with people that aren't pleasant. Um, but a lot of times we get so used to telling everybody yes and taking on more work or certain types of clients that we know we're going to hate just out of a sense of responsibility. Yeah. Well, I want people to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so just I do too. so stop it. And then so 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 go out there and tweet the word stop it and then the hashtag breaking busy. There you go. And I'll be like, I see you out there breaking. Yeah. Did a good job. Nice. Well, I know I'm going to put the the link to the book in the show notes for this episode, but where would you like to direct people to find out more about it? Sure. It's breakingbusy.com. You'll see a video and you can download free chapters and all sorts of fun things. Very cool. Allie, thanks so much for coming and talking to us about all of this. 
Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun, and I hope we don't get in trouble for anything we said on this on this um, interview today. Oh, I will edit everything out. Trust me. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> Probably not, though. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in on that conversation. I know that I enjoyed having it. It was one of those things where, you know, if you don't stop and take the time to really take a look at what you're doing, why you're doing it, and really edit, you know, or if not editing and removing, at least knowing why you're keeping it, why you're keeping the thing or the delegation or the role in your life. And by having those, you can move forward with better purpose as well as choosing the right things to do, because that's just such a huge piece of half the tasks that we end up having on our to-do list end up being things that we don't want to do and don't want to have to do, but we do them anyway. And that's not saying, you know, don't do the stuff that you quote-unquote have to do, but sometimes you have a little bit more freedom than, than you think you do without shirking responsibilities. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I also hope that you will go and check out Nosby, our sponsor for this podcast. Add it to part of your task management and collaboration with your team on those projects that you have then chosen to do after your editing to get a 30-day free Nosby Pro trial. Go to nosby.com slash to-do. That's N-O-Z-B-E dot com slash T-O-D-O. Thank you so much to Nosby for supporting Beyond the To-Do List. And thank you for listening to this show. I really appreciate it. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Tweet at me and Allie. Let us know what you think. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.